thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Hello again, I'm Chuck Quinley, and you're on Thread. This is episode 33. I just got back from a wonderful three-day holiday with my family, and there's just nothing as important in life as your family. If you've got a healthy family, it's a lot of joy. I mean, it's a lot of work. I'll give you that. But nothing is as satisfying, and nothing uh, is essential to, I think, who we are as as persons, as our family is to us, or at least in potential, it can be that way because family is with you forever and they roll through all the seasons of life. You'll see, you know, different sets of friends come into your life and go out of your life. And, uh, you know, friends are family you choose. So some friends stick with you for a lifetime. But, uh, you know, the core of human society is marriage and children. And parenthood has taught me so much about the Lord. And that's uh, that's good lead into today's thread because in Matthew chapter ten, Jesus takes up the subject of marriage and parenthood, talking about children. So uh, get your Bible and come right back for thread. Okay, uh, Mark chapter ten. Jesus has come to teach us about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom that will, you know, one day be here in its absolute perfection. And Jesus will rule and the whole world will be in the perfect state that God intended. But until then, the kingdom of God is here um, in glimpses, you know, in individual lives, individual homes. uh, And the kingdom is active. You can see it. The kingdom is moving it's alive, it has energy, it's different from the kingdom of the world, and things in the kingdom go differently. So everything Jesus teaches is somehow related to the kingdom teaching. If you ever have a test out on a, qu- on a quiz that says, what is the central teaching of Jesus? Don't say uh, God loves the world. You got to look at his teaching from end to end, and really the only right answer for t- to that is, He came to teach about the kingdom of God. It's the central message. And it's the only message he gave his disciples, the authority to teach about. And so we ought to be all about this kingdom. And this kingdom uh, lands itself squarely in your home because the home is a place where we have the opportunity to learn about the fatherhood of God, about sacrificial love, about giving for the sake of others, about forgiveness, about understanding, about, and frankly, about all the demons that are inside of us, because as you live that closely with other people, uh, things get stirred up in you, and you've got to acknowledge the reality that you're not as good a person as you'd like to be, and marriage will show that to you. Um, Somebody, I guess somebody told me, I've always had this in my head, Marriage is not designed to make us happy. It's designed to make us be like Jesus. And if you will be like Jesus, marriage will reward you immediately because it's like this laboratory. And if you, even one of you in the marriage, decides to not be like Jesus, to be self-centered, to be me first, and to attack and to compete instead of cooperating, uh, 
you know, you're going to immediately suffer for it because marriage will punish you. The minute you do wrong, marriage punishes you. Uh, so it rewards and punishes depending on how you act. So if you'll live like Jesus lives, marriage is really, it's a heavenly institution, but you will also have the greatest pain you'll ever have in your life in your own home. And that's true in marriage, and that's true in parenting children. And both of those subjects come up to us today in chapter 10 of Mark. Now, it's interesting that the question that, that brings this teaching up is not a question about marriage. It's not about, Lord, how can we make our marriages better, or what's a man's proper role in the house? You know, how do you put good character in your children? These are not the questions of the legalists. The legalists come to Jesus, and they only have one question in their mind, and that is, verse 2, is it lawful, is it okay according to the Scriptures for a man to divorce his wife? Now, uh, other um, Gospels, when they record this same conversation, they add two more words. Um, Well, maybe three. Sorry, five words. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Because divorce was a given. It happened. It happened in uh, the Old Testament, and it happened in the days of Jesus. Women couldn't divorce their husbands, but husbands could divorce their wives, and they did divorce their wives. And the issue that was raging among religious scholars in the day was not how to stop us from divorcing each other and how to fix our marriages and how to make this right so it works the way God intended. No, that was not their question. Their question was about the legal grounds, you know, the prenuptial agreement today, uh, the, the exactness of the law about how a divorce can be done. And so there were two schools of thought among the rabbis. In answering this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And the, there was Shammai. He was a more conservative, and he said, you can only divorce your wife because she's committed adultery on you. You know, you can dissolve the bond between you. You can uh, unravel your family. You can chop off half of your home only if she's committed adultery on you. And Hillel said... No, you could divorce your wife for any old reason at all because you own your wife. She's your property, just like your cows and your house and your children and your slaves are your property, so your wife is your property. You bought her from her family with the dowry, and now she belongs to you, and if you just don't like how she looks one day, you can open the door and kick her out. And that was the, you know, that was the big debate, not how to be a healthier family, but how to cleanly divorce one another. And so they want Jesus to weigh in on this, on this question. And he says, what did Moses, and he chooses his words carefully, command you? What did Moses, who established the Jewish law, what did Moses command you? And they have to acknowledge that in Deuteronomy 24, Moses permitted, they say. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. So they already have to acknowledge Moses did not command a divorce of anyone. In Deuteronomy 24, if you want to look it up, uh, verses 1 through 4, 
Moses recognizes that they are divorcing, just like the Egyptians divorced, just like all the other nations divorced. They are divorcing their wives, and they're not actually divorcing them. They're just opening the door and kicking them out. They're gone. And um, because of this, these women are not able to remarry another man. If someone would find them attractive or for some reason need extra help in his house uh, whatever reasons motivated marriage in those days. Um, He can't marry her if he wants to, because then it's adultery, because she's still married to this guy, and he'll be put to death as an adulterer. So these women are just left out. They don't have land, can't own property. Uh, The best they can do is go and be a servant to someone. And if they stay on their own, they're going to end up as prostitutes, because it's the only role left in their society. So when Moses sees the mess that they're making out of human relations, Moses says, you cannot just kick your wife out of your house. If you, if you dismiss your wife and send her away, you will write her a bill of divorcement, which is uh, actually a form of protection for her that she can take now. It's in writing, and you can't later accuse her of divorce, I mean of adultery, or accuse any man of adultery, uh, they can produce that document and say she was legally divorced by you and she's free to remarry. Because really, that's the purpose of divorce. Uh, If you don't like your situation, you can separate from it. The point of a divorce is, I want a new life. I want a new life with someone else. And so I'm going to divorce from you. I'm going to disconnect from you. And Jesus says in verse 5, Um, divorce is not caused because of some legal loophole. Divorce is caused because of the hardness of a heart. He says that's why he wrote this. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. The scripture says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined. And that word joined means... uh, glued, cemented. Um, It's it's not like um, divorce is just the untying of a shoelace. It's more like having your leg chopped off. It's a violent rending of a soul and a family. And Jesus says it's caused by hardness of heart. One of you in the relationship, or maybe both, hardens up and initiates an action. Um, now, uh, I have, been, I've done marriage counseling for my whole ministry and, um, I've dealt with some families and some pain that I just have to, on the one hand, I come home so grieved at how much pain this family is going through. I mean, how much hostility is in the air in this house and it's been there for years, you know? So on the one hand, I'm feeling their pain. On the other hand, I'm kind of amazed at them that they don't walk off because, you know, Sherry and I don't fight very much. But when we do fight, man, it hurts. We don't fight loud. But just we have such a unity on a normal day that when we have disunity between us, oh, God, I feel it. You know, it it's just like a knife in my stomach twisting around. I can't do anything else. My, you know, my day's not just messed up, but I feel like I've lost all moral authority to go and do anything, you know, as an example or as a leader. It's like, I got to fix my house and, you know, my world kind of stops. 
And then I look at some of these families and they've gone through, you know, 10 years of almost hating each other's guts. And I don't know why they stay together. Where do they get the, you know, the strength to stay together and to just weather that kind of opposition day after day. And amazingly, I've seen some of these marriages come out of that competitive relationship with each other and just, uh, you know, come to a place of harmony and love and, and by both of their description, you know, that God's done something. Our, our mood shifted. Point is, um, Christ is not a legalist. He is not interested in helping us find the appropriate grounds for a divorce. That's not his message. He's interested in us understanding the kingdom of God and the implications of the kingdom on everything in your life. And he says, if you want to know about marriage, you got to go back to the creator of marriage. And you say, God, what did you have in mind? Why did you make our bodies fit together? Why did you take the one perfect created being and divide him in half and make a body for the half that you took out and and make them crave each other and be so attracted why did you do that? Why do they cling to each other? What's in your mind? And we come to understand God is a unity. He's not a solo. He's Trinity, living in absolute harmony and unity, not any resistance between the three persons of the Godhead. Absolute, beautiful unity. And God wanted that with us, and he wanted us to experience in his kingdom that that thing, that marvelous, wonderful, affirming, strengthening thing that happens when you come to a complete unity with your spouse. And so that's why Jesus says he made marriage. The two become one flesh. They're no longer two people They are something new. They are a one flesh bond. And the point is, verse 9, what God has joined together, let not man separate. You know, quit the whole scheming about this thing. It's not the point. It isn't what God wanted. And in verse 11, he says, if you divorce your wife and marry someone else, you're committing adultery against your wife. If a wife divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The point is your soul is linked to this person. Your soul is linked to this person. And that was God's intent. God had a vision establishing marriage as the central social unit of mankind that flows from his intentional stereo version of creation. God wants to reveal himself to us. He does that in marriage. Marriage provides the, the, the framework for the revelation of God in the home every day. It's a one flesh bond. And Paul says marriage is not even about us. It's about understanding Christ and the church, mingling souls, mingling persons into a third possibility. Not me, not you, not me versus you, but us, a new creation. And he says, God doesn't want you to walk away from that. That's the general principle. If you want to hear me come down on a Legal ground today, he's telling them. I want to give you the principle of law from God about marriage. You don't walk away from it. You don't make it a a trivial thing. You don't, you know, where I live now in this country, 
it's a 50-cent form. You just go to the courthouse, get a 50-cent form. I live in northern Thailand. Fill it out, hand it in, and you are divorced. That's how hard it is. Now, if you approach the scripture and say, well, that's too hard, you know, what about people being beaten? What about, uh, you know, other extreme cases? Well, again, let's go back to the point. Jesus is not a legalist. This is, he is not attempting to give you, uh, you know, a broad understanding of all the grounds for divorce. That's not the point. And we both know uh, that in most divorces, we're not talking about someone who was being, you know, literally burned with cigarettes by their spouse. That's not what most, what kills most marriages. Those are extreme cases. And of course, common sense would say if your life is in danger, your children are being endangered, uh, you've got to find safety. And you can't say that God would uh, oppose a person under those grounds. He's talking about the normal. I mean, these are guys divorcing their wife for all the reasons that people divorce today. Basically, your heart gets hard. You get stubborn. And, you know, a marriage is a fragile thing. It's a beautiful balance. It's a beautiful uh, unity. But when you get that unity, you know, I, I find it in my own marriage. You know, it's a very fragile unity. We thank God for it. It goes through a lot of storms together. But you can throw that thing off. And if, you know, on the day when one of you is extremely upset and crossing the arms and hunkering down inside, you know, if that person goes and does something stupid uh, or makes the thing worse or basically just hardens their heart, refuses to deal with this according to grace, refuses to let it go, refuses to move on, you know, it's, that's what kills your marriage. And that's what Jesus is teaching us. Marriages die because of that hardness inside where one or the other party hardens themselves down. They refuse to keep the hope of their marriage alive. They refuse to see the best in their partner. They refuse to see the sin in their own life. They blame their partner. They compete against their partner. They refuse to cooperate and work together. Instead of contributing, they start taking. Instead of trying to be a minister of encouragement, to their spouse, they become a, a devil's advocate of discouragement to beat them down with looks and barbs, and, you know, it's horrible. And it's from a hard heart. So what he's telling us to do today is evaluate your heart. Evaluate and soften your heart. Let your marriage be a God-centered, not a you-centered marriage that gives you what you need, Let it be a God-centered marriage where God reveals himself to you in your home and gives you a chance to move beyond the selfishness of a normal human life and to move into the kind of a life that we all know God is calling us to step up into. Well, thoughts of children, of marriage, automatically extend to subject of children. And uh, parents bring their children to Jesus. They want him to touch them. Uh, believing that his touch has a blessing power like an Old Testament patriarch, and they want their children's future to be, you know, anointed by God. They want God to have a plan for their children's lives, and so they want Jesus to touch their children. And the disciples see children as unimportant. They're a, a problem, and they rebuke these mothers and they speak harshly to these mothers about what an important man Jesus is and 
and how dare they interrupt the disciples and him because they're having these important man-on-man discussions and look what you're doing, you're interrupting us. And uh, it's one of the two times in Scripture that says Jesus became furious, you know. Uh, Greatly displeased is like a very mild in verse 14. Uh, greatly displeased uh, stands as a kind of loose English translation for became you know livid, really angry, went off on them. And the end of the the rebuke he gave back to the disciples was, "Allow these children to come to me. Do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. And assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child." will by no means enter it. And he took them into his arms, and he laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. Uh, being a light in the darkness, being a, uh, a person of ministry, and I don't mean by that that you're, a, you know, you're clergy, but I mean you're someone that God uses to minister in this world, uh, has to involve the pastoral care of children, you gotta love kids. You gotta love teenagers. You gotta love young adults. Um, and with Jesus, you see this intimate closeness. He's giving affirming, appropriate touch. He is approving and showing his approval on these lives and how that you know how much encouragement that gives us. He's staying connected to them. He's speaking good things into these children. He's speaking good things over these children. And uh, actually in verse 16, you can kind of see a good pastoral uh, practice there. Number one, he takes initiative. He took them. He initiates the closeness. You know, greet children, go at them. They'll just sit there quietly if you don't approach kids. So he says, initiate closeness, show that you accept them. And and then uh, he took them into his arms. You know, you embrace them, laid hands on them. They need appropriate touch. Uh, they need the approval, the connectedness that comes from that, and he blessed them. Now, let me give you one quick parenting tip that I learned, uh, best hour of the day. Uh, when, when our children were smaller, we still do it some now, but it was definitely a part of their lives uh, up until their mid-teens. And that was at the end of every day, we would lay in the bed with each child in the darkness. And uh, if our kids would go to bed at a reasonable hour now, I would still do it. Uh, and I've never known them to grow out of it or to say, I wish you wouldn't do it. I mean, they've got things they need to discuss, and the, these discussions are best done in the darkness. So turn off the lights, lay in the bed with your kids, let your bodies get close to each other, hug them up, and just, you know, give them 15 minutes. Give them, sometimes give them, a, you know, give them an hour because they're going to open up their heart. There are things that they will tell you that they will never tell you in the daylight or tell you just in the normal busyness of an afternoon. Build your family life, you know? It's what it's all about. It's what lasts. So I just want to encourage you in your own, uh, in your own journey as family, whether you're not married yet and seeking family or you've got young kids or your kids are already leaving the house or maybe your marriage is so sweet or maybe your marriage has got a bitterness in it that's hard to bear. There's hope. I've seen the most horrible situations turn around. It's about that that heart. It's about the softness of your heart and the intentionality of the way you live with each other. And I just really pray that God will help you to find your system of family 
but a system of family that's built around the understanding that your family is a reflection of the kingdom of God, and the kingdom is at work in your house, and God is teaching you through your family, and God is blessing you through your family, and there's just so much good going to come to you inside the doors of your house. And your family is your, the center of your ministry to the world. You know, once you get your house right, then just invite outside people into your house, and they're, they're amazed at what they see. So may God bless us and use us all as we turn our attention toward our home life. If you want to write me directly, my email address is chuck at quinley.com. And I look forward to interacting with you at any time. Thanks. God bless. Thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to emergenetwork.org.